With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 371. It's titled... Find your retirement investment and retirement living style. Ten years ago, in April 2012, I left full-time employment as an institutional investment advisor. I retired. Retired in the sense I could choose what I wanted to do with my life. I could get up when I wanted. I didn't have to answer to clients or business partners. And it's amazing. It's been ten years. That's half the time I actually spent working full-time, which lasted 20 years. Right after I quit my job, I launched an investment education website at jdavidstein.com. Then I shut it down a few weeks later. I launched a different website. I decided I didn't want to use my name on the URL, so I launched next40years.com. Shut that down a month or so later. Later that year, I launched 401k Second Opinion and iraSecondOpinion.com as a sort of a robo-advisor-like service. I shut those down. All that in the first 13 months as I tried to figure out, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? During that period, we spent three months traveling with our three children in Asia and Europe. I didn't really plan very well when I entered retirement. I knew I liked online business, that I wanted to do something in my own name, build websites, write, do video, but I also didn't want a commitment in that I had to show up at a specific time in a specific day. In the summer and fall of 2013, I began learning to program websites. I started trading futures. I got involved in Bitcoin. I continued to write, to do photography, although much of my writing was not investment related. I launched a website, Silence Like Thunder, and an email newsletter. I wrote an ebook. I was exploring many different things, and that's what I found when one retires, it does take time to identify a pattern. What works? What do you like to do? It's an opportunity to try things. In early 2014, I began writing a personal finance column for a local newspaper and slowly began getting involved teaching investing because that's what I missed about my old job. In May 2014, I launched the Money for the Rest of Us podcast. During the past decade, all three of my now adult children have worked for money for the rest of us on a part-time basis. Two of my children still do, and that has been incredibly rewarding. Now I have a pattern of retirement, at least for this phase, what I have done over the past decade. There's a routine. I don't like to set an alarm clock, except sometimes I do when I need to get up early to go fishing. But even then, I don't really like to. So I typically wake up anywhere between 5.30 a.m. and 7 a.m. Unless I happen to wake up in the middle of the night, get some insomnia, and then I'll go about reading or doing something else. Like they did back in medieval times with the first sleep and the second sleep. When you're retired, you don't have to worry about insomnia because you can just stay awake and then go to bed and get up later. 
I typically like to work in the mornings for about three to four hours after taking a long walk, writing, podcasting, video. I typically take a nap in the early afternoon. Sometimes in the afternoon I work, other times I don't. Perhaps LaPro and I are doing a project, I might go hiking, maybe we're traveling, biking. In the evenings, we'll do things together. I'll also typically read, I'll skim five or six newspapers, perhaps we'll stream a show. Interspersed with that is time with family, friends, service, and that's the life that we crafted over the past decade. It will probably change, but it does take some experimentation, trying things, shutting them down until you figure out what is most satisfying about your retired life. I value a flexible routine. To have some routine, some commitments for content I need to produce But I don't like to have a set time and day when I have to do something. I'll typically have maybe one or two phone calls per month where I actually set an appointment and have to show up. Usually that's a regularly scheduled call with a friend. Now that's my retirement routine. It's not for everyone. Some would say I'm not even retired because I still work in my own business. I have an uncle who is in his 80s. I think he's been retired for 30 years or more. He still golfs several times a week, maybe daily, splits his time between Ohio and Florida, and he loves it. But this is an uncle that started his business in his 20s, got involved in real estate because he was so bored working in a cubicle and just needed to get outside. And so that's when he got into real estate, owned apartment buildings, which he eventually sold and retired. In order to support ourselves in retirement, there are different approaches to managing our finances. Wade Fa and Alex Murguia have done an excellent job outlining the different approaches. They developed a retirement income style awareness matrix. So this is a matrix with four quadrants, a horizontal axis. On the left is safety first and on the right is probability based. We'll describe those in more details. The horizontal axis goes from safety first on the left to probability based on the right. The vertical axis is optionality orientation on the top and a commitment orientation on the bottom. We then have four boxes. Most of our discussions on retirement investing and spending have been focused on either the top right with a probability optionality focused approach or on the bottom left, a safety-first commitment approach. I'll explain all four quadrants and approaches in more detail. The first is a probability and optionality focus. This is total return investing, where we build a diversified portfolio of investments and spend a set percentage of the assets each year coming up with a safe withdrawal rate. Typically, it could be a 4% spending rate, and that spending amount then is increased by the rate of inflation. This is by far the most common approach to managing finances in retirement. It's the approach that I spent most of my professional life researching and implementing, mostly with institutional investors. We spent time researching asset classes, investment managers, estimating expected returns and risk, making adjustments over time, either to rebalance or making opportunistic adjustments based on investment conditions. It's the approach I use now in managing my investment portfolio. It's the approach that I teach and provide education, portfolio tools on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. 
My overarching goal for my investment portfolio is to grow it on a real net of inflation basis after backing out that year's spending. Did my net worth grow after spending and after inflation? With a total return approach, all the assets are on your balance sheet. There is no insurance product such as an annuity. It's very much dependent on the returns of the financial markets. This approach can include private investments as well as public investments. I find it incredibly fascinating. It's always changing, but it can also be stressful due to the high level of uncertainty, the dependence on financial markets. There's also sequence of return risk. If a retiree enters retirement and the stock market sells off significantly the first couple years of retirement, that can severely impact the ability to meet future needs and potentially face retirement ruin where the retiree runs out of money. That then, a total return approach with a focus on probability and optionality, having many, many different choices and success dependent on the returns of the financial markets, that's one approach. The other approach I've spent a great deal of time on with the podcast is the safety first commitment orientation approach. This typically involves purchasing an immediate annuity or having a defined benefit pension plan that covers most of the retirement spending needs. The investment portfolio is used to complement those guaranteed income sources. It's safety first because most of the expenses are covered by guaranteed income sources. And it's commitment focused because in many cases, you're turning over a big pot of money to an insurance company and they promise a certain payment for the rest of your life. I was not familiar with this approach up until the great financial crisis, where I saw many retirees devastated by the big financial losses and realized maybe a total return approach isn't the only way. So I spent time, went to conferences, learned about annuities. Now, this approach also has its own stresses. The annuitized assets aren't on the balance sheet. So when you go buy an annuity, you feel poorer. Even though you know you're going to receive this monthly income, it just you don't have access to those assets anymore that went into the annuity. So you've given up optionality and made a commitment. Then there's the question of, well, when do we buy the annuity? Do we buy a series of annuities? Do we buy it all at once? There's lots of questions that surround that. The level of interest rates impact the amount we get from the annuity when we purchase it. Do we wait to purchase it? Because interest rates might be higher, so we'll be able to get a higher payout. The next two quadrants, the bottom right and the top left, are hybrid styles. That's how Wade Faw describes them. The bottom right is a probability-based approach with commitment, and the top left is a safety-first approach with optionality. A probability-based approach with commitment usually involves some type of product. It could be an insurance product or a structured note from a brokerage firm or some type of outcome-based ETF. But it's distinguished because instead of just giving all those assets to an insurance company or to a brokerage and getting a set income stream, there is some upside in terms of market returns. So this could be an indexed universal life insurance policy or a variable annuity where there's a floor or a guaranteed return, but also some potential upside 
or growth based on how financial markets return. This approach then has some some combination of a commitment to a product with a risk floor, but the potential upside based on how financial markets do. The top left quadrant then is a safety first with optionality. This is a time segmentation or bucket approach, and I've discussed the bucket approach on the podcast in the past, but the idea is to be able to keep one's investment options open, but also better manage some of the sequence of return risk. In that markets sell off, we don't want to panic, we can still maintain our spending. One way to do that is to have some buffer assets that can be tapped. It could be as simple as a cash reserve. Maybe it's a reverse mortgage. Maybe it's borrowing against the cash value of a whole life insurance policy. But having something in reserve in case it's needed because financial markets don't perform as well as we would have liked. Another option within the safety first with optionality is using buckets. So setting aside the first five or six years of retirement spending needs in a very conservative portfolio, bonds, for example, and then investing the remainder of the assets more aggressively to be used in future years and to fund those shorter-term buckets as time passes. This is very much an asset liability matching approach, something that I use with some of my former pension fund clients where they wanted to immunize their pension, in many cases, shut it down and just match cash flows from bonds to future payments to retirees. We used a similar bucket approach with some of our university endowments where we had segmentation. Shorter term operating funds were in one bucket. Longer term funds were in another And even within the shorter-term funds, there were short-term buckets in the short-term funds and then assets that were not touched for a number of years. And so those could be invested more aggressively. When I've discussed the bucket approach in the past, I might not have been as positive as I should have been because I put my total return hat on and think, yeah, there's these buckets, but it's still one overarching asset allocation. And is it really that different? But it is because mental accounting is real. It's easier to spend assets that are part of some account when we mostly feel like, well, that's the account that they come from. This is my spending account over the next year. And then we don't feel that stress of the stock market falling and that's going to impact my spending. So even though there's an overarching asset allocation, there is some emotional benefit to having these buckets. Potentially by having the buckets of spending in the initial years of retirement, it makes it easier for the retiree to invest the remaining assets more aggressively because they feel calmer about knowing their immediate spending needs over the next several years are covered. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. 
high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I had a listener recently ask me how I would go about implementing a time segmentation or bucketing approach for a retiree. This could be done by buying individual bonds that mature in the years that the spending is needed, or an investor could use a bullet ETF or a series of bullet ETFs. And a bullet ETF is an ETF that has bought bonds that mature in a certain year. For example, there's the iShares iBonds December 2024 term treasury ETF, IBTE. It expires in December 2024. So the bonds are bought by the ETF, they're held to maturity, and then the ETF is liquidated in December 2024. The benefit of owning bonds until maturity, either directly or through an ETF, is that even though the value of the bonds fluctuate as interest rates change, when the bond matures, you get back the principal amount. And so how the bonds fluctuate in the interim doesn't matter. Now, it, it can, if you look at these ETFs, for example, many of these bullet ETFs are negative year to date because interest rates have risen. So you kind of have to set that aside. But recognizing that ultimately, if we ignore the price fluctuations in the interim, that we'll get that full principal balance back. I went and looked at, well, how would I implement this strategy? Let's suppose that a new retiree has a $2.6 million portfolio. So $2,600,000. Annual expenses are expected to be $100,000 per year. The retiree wants to set aside six years worth of expenses. So $100,000 each year and buys one of the iShares, iBonds, bullet ETFs for each year. The retiree buys IBTB, which expires in December 2022. It has a yield of 0.4%. 
Investor puts another $100,000 in IBTD. This is the bullet ETF that expires in December 2023. The yield is 0.8%. Another $100,000 in the bullet ETF that expires in December 2024. IBTE, the yield's 1.1%. IBTF expires in December 2025. The yield is 1.4%. IBTG expires December 2026. Yield is 1.51%. And IBTH expires in December 2027, 1.61% yield. All of these ETFs have a 0.07% expense ratio, which is competitive. One of the benefits of using bullet ETFs for this laddered bond approach, which is really what we're doing, we're doing a laddered bond or laddered ETFs, is that iShares is responsible for buying the underlying bonds. And we'll more likely get better pricing than we will if we're trying to buy the bonds directly. I think the seven basis points is competitive and well worth the cost to have them implement it. One of the challenges with this approach is inflation. We just put $100,000 in a series of bullet ETFs. That bullet ETF that expires in December 2027 in six years yields 1.61%. So when it matures, it will have grown to around $110,000. Now, if inflation is 1.61%, our personal inflation rate, our personal expenses, then there'll be enough. But if our personal inflation rate is 3%, we would need $119,000 six years from now in order to spend the equivalent of $100,000 today. In other words, to adjust for inflation, expenses for a budget would be about $119,000 per year in six years. In that case, we'd actually have to invest more than $100,000 in that bullet ETF. We'd have to invest around $109,000. And then as it grows at 1.6% per year, it would be worth $119,000 in six years. I use the retirement planning calculator on Money for the Rest of Us Plus in order to kind of figure out these different permutations. Now, the remaining $2 million of assets are then invested more aggressively. They could be invested in stocks, perhaps earning 6.5% per year. The challenge, though, I find with a bucket approach is a year from now, you've spent your money that you set aside, your bullet ETF for the next year matures, so you have next year's spending, and then you need to go buy another bullet ETF or another bond that expires in six years. Now, again, these time frames we could do a seven-year ladder or a five-year ladder, but we're just doing a six-year ladder. That means we have to actually sell some of our stocks in order to buy the new ETF. And the whole idea of the bucket approach is not to necessarily have to sell stocks after they sold off to allow them time to appreciate. But the reality is every year one needs to replenish their bond ladder or their ETF ladder as part of this bucket approach. Now, you do have the flexibility to not necessarily fund it right away because you're not going to need those funds for six years. So there is that aspect to it. But this is not necessarily simple to implement, at least for me, because it does take some thinking through. Now, again, some people love this approach because of the peace of mind of having this series of buckets and having expenses set aside, knowing 
that they'll be there when they're needed. But if we think about a $2 million portfolio, then we have to every year take out 100000 to fund our ETF. That's still about a 5% spending rate. If we had a $3.6 million portfolio, then the spending rate would be closer to 3.3% as we take out that 100000 each year. There are a lot of moving pieces to this. When we think then about the four quadrants and the four ways to go about this, a total return approach focused on probability and optionality, a safety first approach focused on safety and commitment, and then the two hybrid approaches, one using time segmentation or buckets that involves safety first but still has some optionality involved in it in terms of how the bucketing or segmentation has taken place. And then finally, we have the commitment along with probability, where the retiree is willing to commit to certain products that provide some type of floor, but there's also participation in the upside. None of them is the best. And one of the things we need to be aware of is sometimes professionals like one particular approach because they might be selling a product in that approach. But if there's one thing that I've learned in 10 years of retirement is there isn't one approach that works best. And often it's a combination of approaches. Perhaps we start with a total return approach like I have, but I anticipate at some point I will buy an immediate annuity from the total return approach bucket to the safety first approach bucket. Perhaps there'll be a product that I want to participate in and I'm willing to commit to that provides a floor along with some upside. In addition, LePro and I set aside each year our anticipated expenses and we just keep those in our checking account. So we sort of have those there, which is an element of a time segmentation approach. I have seen retirees get incredible peace of mind once they bought an immediate annuity. I have seen other retirees that the idea of buying an immediate annuity was just terrifying. They, just, they didn't want to give up control of their assets, give up the optionality. The approach we use at any given time depends on the environment. There might be some environments where interest rates are higher that we decide, yeah, I will gladly commit to an immediate annuity. And there's other times where we don't want to. Got another question and summary from a listener that is 50, thinking about retirement, and wants to know whether to do it or not. How do you know if you have enough? You can go through these exercises, the different quadrants, to see, well, which retirement investment style seems most attractive to you based on your temperament, and then figure out how much can I spend based on my nest egg or based on the time segmentation or having bought an, an annuity. And then recognize that once you have that budget, what's covered, can you live on that? Perhaps try out a budget for a year and then try retirement. You can always go back to work. You can go back to work part-time. It takes time to figure out the routine and the pattern for retirement. So don't let fear keep you from retiring. On the other hand, don't feel pressured to retire if you enjoy your job and enjoy your profession. Perhaps you do it part-time or continue working full-time until you're in your 70s. Many, many choices when it comes to retirement. Be flexible, be patient, try things out, but at least be aware that there are different approaches to retirement living, retirement spending, 
And we can move from one approach to the other based on our life stage and our temperament as we enter into and progress through retirement. That's episode 371. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over a thousand members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.